Hello, I'm Isaac, and we remember it so you don't have to. If you have been emotionally affected by this phrase, you are entitled to legal compensation. Absolutely. A lot of legal compensation. My God. Well, and then there's all the people that really are entitled to legal compensation because of that guy with the glasses.com. Did you follow the... (laughs) change the channel movement at all no no i'm i'm not as fresh on the all the nostalgia critic bullshit uh, as everybody else let me tell you let me tell you when you're 12 years old and you're looking for <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be a rap it kind of became one <laughs> okay. there were not a lot of options in 2010 for like online film critics in specifically his brand of film criticism which is like screaming into a microphone <laughs> and like this film makes me want to put diarrhea in my ear <laughs> you know, like, just, yeah it's like absurd shit yeah like, no one reacts that way <laughs> but like they act like they react that way yeah it was the it's the um the rage it's like why people started watching twitch streamers and like people play let's players because they like to watch people rage and it's funny seeing funny man rage about a movie it's it's why we have like five hour videos on youtube where like uh like a furry like icon is gonna lecture you about why like the last jedi actually (laughs) Actually. killed more people than like the holocaust (laughs) (laughs) um have you seen that uh I was gonna say, speaking of the Holocaust, uh, did you? Oh. Hear, did you hear? <laughs> not a great transition. Not a great transition, but it made me think of it. I was gonna bring it up anyway with Norm Macdonald. Yes. Uh, oh, I've I been watching clips of his saying, all week. I, I I would uh like to mention my favorite clip of his is the uh, his stand up routine. He had a twelve minute joke. Uh, about Janice. Have you heard that one? No, I don't think I have. You need to listen to I, it. I love his long jokes, though. Have you yeah. heard the moth one? Yes. Okay. I just, <laughs> he was the was... master of like that, that like yeah. anti humor where like he just is speaking <laughs> out of his ass for like three minutes and then gets to a punchline and it's always good. It's always good. <laughs> have you heard the youthful porpoise one he did on Conan? No. That one's good. He wasted so much time, and the audience started laughing and clapping, and Conan was like, don't applaud him for that, because it was such a dumb punchline, but it was so, so funny. Um, so, yeah, everybody's remembering him because he was in a bunch of Adam yeah. Sandler movies, though. But Well, yeah, that that's one of the ways he's going to be remembered, because that, that SNL click was tight, mm-hmm. but, like... I'll always remember my first exposure to Norm Macdonald was that show Mike Tyson Mysteries. Oh, really? uh, he's the voice of like the the pigeon that they have like on the team, and he's fucking hilarious. Like he's so deadpan and like yeah. serious. It's like it's so good. Not serious. No, he's just like yeah. Norm Macdonald. He's, like yeah, it, yeah, it's <laughs> in cartoon voice. form. I he, love it. He also voiced the dog in Doctor Doolittle, the Eddie Murphy one. Oh, that's right. I yeah. <laughs> what a weird <laughs> right intersection. Just got back from a shooting weekend, and my computer's been off for three days. So. Yeah, so you shot some stuff, huh? I did. It went pretty well. I'm happy. I'm actually, after this, I'm going to go uh, to Luke's and pick up the footage, and I'm going to look at it and uh, assess. Yeah. Much. Uh, but from what I saw on set, though, I mean, we got some great stuff. I'm excited for everybody to see it in three years. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Does that, well, is, it's still probably going to come out before... Uh... 
uh, <laughs> crimes. crimes huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, the third remake will yeah. probably be in development by then. <laughs> yeah. The trilogy will be finished by the time <laughs> the fucking first one comes out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, that that's really just waiting on music right now. For, yeah. any, for everybody wondering, uh, my composer is working on the score right now. So that's, uh, and he's really busy, so I'm going to have to, uh, um, you know, get over there one day and kind of expedite it. But oh, yeah. Just know that my job is done. Okay. So I'm putting it off on somebody K- else. Casey Hubbard is officially <laughs> distancing himself from the project once known as Crimes of Good Intention. Um, dude, well, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see it. I, I luckily don't know much about this one, which oh, I think will good. be fun. Because I like I liked that about Cheez-Its and Chili, is that I did not work on that one. So it's right. just like kind of a fun, like ride to yeah. your to your ending in that one go go watch the short films on this channel they're yes. they're made by our very own casey um wow just thank you i'm, I'm so excited for you i'm Chris. excited for you to see it this one's got a twist too i'm okay. excited for everybody to i see still it. haven't seen Cripsis either is that up yet i didn't put it on youtube because i was submitting it i submitted it to a festival and oh, festivals right. are weird about it being streamed mm, and stuff they don't so. want it out there yeah. in the world but no nah, i didn't get in so uh i guess everybody can watch it on youutube i'll upload it to youtube Woo! You hear that? I advocated yeah. for for our uh, film experience. Yeah, I'll I'll try to upload it along with this episode, so we can uh, uh, I'll link it and uh, y'all can go watch it, or it'll be up on the channel. So when you go to the if you watch listen on YouTube, um, it'll be up on YouTube on our Mind Over Movies channel. Well, uh, presumably, if you uh, if you make a movie, you have to have probably seen a movie before. Did you Did you <laughs> see any this last week? No, no. not this last week. No, because. Because I was I was doing stuff for my film, I didn't have any time. So uh, I'm trying to think if uh, I rewatched um, a couple episodes of uh, season seven of Game of Thrones. Though. Oh, we the, uh, that one is always kind of iffy territory for me. <coughs> you know, like any anything post the books, other than season six, which yeah. I think was probably the last. Yeah, great season. I agree. Yeah, season seven is is a little iffy. Um, uh, my roommates have been uh, watching. One of them hasn't seen it, so uh, they're watching. They made it to season seven, and um, we were watching. We watched the episode. We watched the last two episodes of season seven. So uh, yeah, I'm rewatching it. You know, after I've only seen season seven through once, and rewatching it. You know, now that season eight's over. Yeah. Yeah, season seven. Probably it's 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 definitely iffy. I think the first half is way better than the second half. Like oh the, yeah, the last two episodes, man, are just you can just tell, right? The writing is. I'm like, man, in season three, this shit would have never happened. Like when the when they're on the middle of the ice and the lake and the dead are coming and then Khaleesi comes up with the dragons and everything. I'm like, yeah. that shit would have happened. That shit would not have flew in season three, man, and no. probably for the better, you know. Um, weird choices in season seven, but that's really all I've watched, and a bunch of Norm Macdonald clips. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, I I think without getting too much into spoilers, just mm-hmm. like season seven ruined a lot of characters that yeah, I had definitely. I'd loved to maybe hate up until that point, yeah. you know, like and it, it kind of cheated with how it accelerated events, like nonsensical things happened to drive the plot forward, and I think it really hurt, like. Game of Thrones should have been 10 seasons. That's yeah. that's the consensus. And yeah. we gave season 7 slack at the time. 
because we thought the last season is gonna you know bring it home and mm -hmm. and then it didn't and it's like well shit so this was just bad too yeah yeah, right. it, yeah. it was it's a tough feeling to yeah. go through that with very, like very rushed my favorite you know like yeah. one of my favorite shows like up until that point it mm -hmm. was yeah um I've, yeah i remember loving it like i got my mom watching it yeah, I got my parents to watch the whole goddamn series before <laughs> season eight came out. It was great. Yeah. My mom never likes violent stuff Me and mine like either. that. And and my my parents do not binge. Like if they watch two episodes of a show in a night, that's a crazy binge session. Right. But um so they they would watch like four or five at a time. Yeah. And one weekend I like left on Friday and when I got back it was like the last episode of season four and it had been before the red wedding wow. when i had like last seen them watching something they had watched like 15 episodes of television between that that's and amazing and i don't blame them you know, yeah me and my stuff. mom sat down and watched the whole season uh like a day that's awesome and she just we woke up she's like hey you want, you want to watch that show i'm like sure mom hell yeah <laughs> it was cool it's cool it's a very addictive show i i gotta say I uh, I think I can return to the show and still love it because even yeah. though the resolution there wasn't like super strong, we still have the books and I'm almost caught up on the books. I have one more yeah. book and then I'll be where the books were in 2011 wow. and hopefully we're getting a sixth one soon. But like yeah, they're years. they're fucking good and they diverge a lot in the plot points that you would like to see them diverge. Yeah. Like the stuff that remained loyal to the books that's in the show is amazing it's in there like word word for word page for page the stuff that you always kind of wished would be different is and it works better because it kind of gives itself more to that fantastical world element whereas like the people who made the television show kind of took right. efforts to ground it you know they yeah they didn't have like for example catelyn stark didn't come back to life yeah in, yeah in yeah i show. remember some, uh somebody told me about that having the books i was like well, that's crazy oh that's kind of a big spoiler my bad yeah yeah well, well, oh well i'll bleep it or yeah whatever. you know or maybe don't maybe, no, maybe just, just it's it, you should have seen it by now <laughs> no i'm kidding uh, i hate when people say that um i didn't i didn't watch too much i did finish brooklyn 99 today that had its last season come oh, out yeah. and that's just a show i've watched over the years um that i've always thought is pretty consistently funny and it had its own like little uh run in with being like canceled and then like brought back like it was canceled for like maybe a week and then yeah. like seth myers guillermo del toro like <laughs> mark hamill like all teamed up to like save it right. it was kind of incredible but uh it was it was definitely a show worth saving and uh, it was really interesting this year because like as a show about police to have to come out with like your last season after yeah. like 2020 yeah i mean that's hard and they they definitely took that year to heart when making this season and you can tell like a lot of it is about police reform a lot of it is about like the ethics of being a police officer in the first place and the responsibilities that they have in our society and i want to say that it works really well but it's actually pretty clunky like political commentary which is a shame because it's like i agree with everything they're saying but like I think it's proof that like you can't just state what's right. You have to convey that message in a mm -hmm. meaningful way in order for it to work and resonate with people. Otherwise, people are going to see it as pandering or like, yeah, I yeah. know more than you. Which, I mean, 
isn't always the worst thing, but I I don't think it helps with mm. this series. Um, but the last season was still great, like a lot of pleasing moments, and I'm gonna miss it a lot. Um, and then I also finished a trilogy I've been working on for a while because I stopped <laughs> uh, between two and three for a really long period. I finished the Raimi trilogy um, oh, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I w- I wrote like a ridiculously long review of Spider-Man 3 it, on my letterbox. I, I felt like impassioned and, you know, maybe I'll bring a little bit of my thoughts here, but like I think Spider-Man 3 on paper like resolves that trilogy like mm-hmm. beautifully. You know, yeah, like yeah. I think that if you look at all the beats that happen throughout all three Spider-Man movies, I mean, they're great. They play into each other and they resolve in a satisfactory way in the finale. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it, it, shit is fucking nuts yeah, <laughs> in yeah. three. Like, not only is it over, like, bloated with, with villains, you know, mm-hmm. you've got Venom, you've got the Sandman, and you've got harry as this like half-baked like new green goblin hobgoblin um which i did have the rice krispie toy of yeah that was that was a big moment of my childhood was was getting that one i had sandman and venom nice i got yeah but you know like there's that amnesia storyline like harry bonks his head early on in the movie and he like he really does forget like that (laughs) peter is spider-man and that his like dad is dead but like James Franco is actually a terrible actor, and it's just, like, not believable at all, and he's, like, hamming it up. He's like, so, Pete, do I have any girlfriends? (laughs) Pete, do I have any girlfriends? (laughs) (laughs) And they, like, really go with that joke. That's the thing about Spider-Man 3, is it, like, it leans into these concepts, and they're pretty great concepts if you break them down to, like, elements, but they go, like... It's such far. a crazy, yeah, yeah, absurd direction. Like the the idea of the symbiote taking over the suit and like bringing out his aggression and his toxic masculinity mm-hmm. is nice. But like pair that with like Venom being like shoved into the movie, like yeah. right. It's not even for that long. Like it's only like thirty minutes of the movie that yeah. Eddie Brock is like Venom, but it's it's bad. <laughs> it feels it so messy, you know. I will say one of my favorite shots like what that i think is like fully realized uh, is when eddie i know the scene is is kind of joked on because eddie brock goes to the church and asks praise to god (laughs) to kill peter parker yeah but after that when when the when the symbiote grabs him and there's that shot of him like with it and it's like like basically covering him i think like the moonlight is on him or something uh, or it, I don't know. It's like a really well composed shot, and I remember seeing that as a kid, and thinking like, "Wow, he's he's in them now." It make you it make you a filmmaker. It make me filmmaker. Yeah, Spider Man Three did definitely. My gosh. No, I just remember that scene. Though. I re- I like that scene a lot, um, and I like the Sandman storyline a lot. But it's Pretty just good. it feels you know it's one of those things that's in there that's part of the bloatiness of it. I, th- I feel like, it, it, and it doesn't really like resolve in a very like graceful way he just yeah. like kind of shows up and goes like oh yeah i did like try and murder you but like here's the scoop on the whole uncle reno thing yeah. <laughs> um. i i know you did you did mute a bunch of people on twitter because they're talking about spider-man but since i didn't mute them i did did you happen though to see 
the deleted scene from Spider-Man 3 with the sandcastle? No. So he shows up at his, his son or his daughter. I can't remember. Daughter. daughter. She like is playing in the park and there's this like beautifully built sandcastle and she walks up to it and like a hand impression on the sandcastle like forms and she puts her hand on it and then she like the mom like yells at her to leave and when she goes to the car she looks back and the sandcastle's gone. It was just like a really sweet moment but it was a deleted scene from the movie and I was like that probably I mean I haven't seen Spider-Man 3 in a while but that scene probably would have worked really well if yeah. it was kept in the movie. It would have. It would have been nice to have because as it is, that storyline feels like a lot of exposition being yelled, oh, yeah. you know, just for this character to fit into the timeline. Like, it's a total retcon of, like, what yeah. happens in Spider-Man 1, too. And it's, it's like, I get why they're returning to that because, like, Peter's guilt about Uncle Ben's death is a really good motivator for, mm-hmm. like, the things he does. Um, it's just, like, they could have used something else maybe and like they didn't have to have like harry make mary jane and peter break up you know their relationship was naturally headed there like because of the movie like what's so great about the raimi trilogy is that these are such real personal challenges of being like a real adult you know it's not Mm -hmm. just like a superhero story it's like when you get older like it's so hard to balance like everything in your life and to keep not only your like goals and and dreams straight but then that of like others in your life and you do distance yourself from people like mary jane and peter's like distance from each other in this movie that's fucking real yeah i don't know i love that aspect of this movie and that's why it's so hard for me to like rag on it because Mm -hmm. i think in its pinky it's still got like a lot more heart and a lot more like personal feeling than like most superhero movies that come out it's just yeah clunky yeah just really for sure Sad. Yeah. <laughs> are you? What else are you sad about? Anything? I'm sad about the deficit. The deficit is down. The stock market, they be crashing. It do be crashing. I don't know. Did you watch anything else, though? I don't think so. I think uh, maybe just an episode of The Circle or something. Oh, heck yeah. I love The Circle, man. I still talk. need to watch that. I haven't watched any episodes. You don't. You don't need to. It is reality television, yeah. so it won't add anything to your life. But you might like it. Yeah. Who knows? I well, love it. <laughs> well, let's get into our uh, topic for today. We uh, put the poll out on Twitter, and um, y'all voted for films that changed the world. Uh, and this can be films that changed, you know, cinema, cinema's landscape, changed the actual yeah. world, changed our culture. We're going to be talking about all of it. Films that had a, a really, you know, huge impact just on uh, the this life that we're living. And I want to go and look uh, at first at our... Um, oh, listener poll. Yeah, listener, listener poll. poll. And so, y'all, we asked y'all to drop some films. Um, so I'll start with kind of a, a joke that our friend Jacob made <laughs> about Louis Le Prince. Uh Jacob says, uh, I mean, Louis Le Prince invented uh, the first film camera and shot uh, the Roundhead Garden scene, the first ever footage from said film camera. Literally being the first ever reel of film ever made means that without Louis Le Prince, we wouldn't have Marvel movies. <laughs> <laughs> and Luke commented that all of cinema history and you chose Marvel movies. Uh, he meant that as sort of like a... He was joking. I, I asked him about it and... Uh, 
he said he was being uh, being a little shit, basically. Yeah. Um, but however, uh, it is true though. You know the <laughs> the roundhead garden scene. You know, been to the first camera, nuking Hiroshima, invented hentai. I yeah, mean, yeah, same uh, thing. Same thing. <laughs> same thing. Um, but then we have uh, Saxon. Saxon uh, commented. Uh, it may not seem like it by today's standards, but I would argue that Philadelphia was one of the first major steps forward in regards to queer representation in film, as well as helping change societal attitudes towards those in the LGBTQ plus community. It's not a perfect film, but considering that gay characters were generally not portrayed in a positive light, especially in the midst of the AIDS epidemic, it was pretty groundbreaking for its time. To have a gay character as the lead in a mainstream film and to make steps to destigmatize AIDS in the process was pretty big for, time, for the time. It led to more queer characters appearing in mainstream films, and we started to see more honest portrayals of LGBTQ plus people in media. While representation has come a long way since and still has a little way to go in some areas, Philadelphia definitely deserves some credit for being one of the first major films to pave the way for better LGBTQ plus representation in media. And yeah, having seen Philadelphia with uh, Tom Hanks and... Um, Oh God! Who was the other guy in that film? Do you remember? Have you seen Philadelphia? I have not. I have not. It's, um, it's a I'm great always film. Always meant to. And uh, I mean, Tom Hanks won Best Actor for it, and then yeah. went on to do uh, Forrest Gump. Sorry, Forrest Gump, I had yeah. to think was... about the name of Forrest Gump. That's sad, man. <laughs> it was um, it was uh, Denzel Washington, and it was directed by Jonathan Demme. There we go. Okay, yeah, that's why. It's... <clears throat> That's yeah. why it's a certified classic. It's a certified classic. Um, yeah, Philadelphia is a great, a great film. It's, um, I believe, it was the first film to uh, to really uh, tackle the AIDS epidemic uh, in a in a, a more positive light, um, because uh, the char- Denzel's character struggles with uh, representing Tom Hanks in the film. Tom Tom Hanks is a lawyer, I believe, in the movie, um, but he hires a lawyer to help him uh, in the. In a case because he gets fired from his job for having AIDS, so it was, uh, it was you know he felt it was discrimination. So he lawyers up with Denzel, and Denzel doesn't really uh, he has a hard time representing him because uh, he's gay and he doesn't quite understand it. Oh um, yeah, but the the movie uh, um, obviously there's a lot. Obviously Denzel's character comes around and he realizes <laughs> whatever, but uh, really the core of the movie is about you know, dis- discriminating against people who have AIDS, uh, thinking that they can, uh, the, <laughs> that it's contagious uh, yeah. for them. You know, uh, it's it's really, the movie, it does, you know, Saxon has said it's not a perfect movie. It, it's not because it is, I don't know, like um, the way that the some of the characters are portrayed, you know, it's really hammed up, I feel like. But in terms of it being the first film to tackle it, you know, I, I, it's pretty damn good. Uh, it could have been a lot worse. And uh, the rep, like he was saying, the representation is pretty solid in the film. Um, and it, it is an important movie. It's, uh, it's actually on a, a lot of... Uh, I, read, I read the whole Wikipedia <laughs> article about it when I watched the movie. Uh, and it is. It has helped a lot. It's on a bunch of lists, you know, for top, you know, uh, in queer cinema and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, you should definitely watch it. I feel I want to know your thoughts on it actually because I think it's good. There, you know, obviously it's got some hammed up performances and and you know maybe hokey characters, uh, but for the most part, you know, yeah, I agree. I agree, Saxon. 
Well, nice. I, I, I definitely do feel like that's a deficit in my uh, my film buff status. I gotta, I gotta get on <laughs> Philadelphia for sure. Philadelphia. I just want to watch more Jonathan Dim movies oh, yeah. anyway. Like, I wanna, I wanna get wise to everything that he's done because, like, I love Silence of the Lambs especially Same. so much. But um, those were all really good choices. Even Jacob being a little shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I want to know what you wrote because I don't care about anyone else, Casey. I oh only care about your opinion. So we're going to start off with a little bit of a darker one. Oh, okay. Yeah. We should alternate, by the way. Yeah, we definitely. Yeah. Okay. Or else people will click off people before they get to hear off. me. I know. Okay. I'll, I'll kill you. I'll hurry. <laughs> okay. No, don't hurry. <laughs> um, the, Entice them. The uh, the first film on my list that I would say changed the world. It didn't it didn't impact the world in a positive way whatsoever. Uh, the first one is the Birth of a Nation. Um, first film screened uh, inside the White House. Wow. Uh, first film screened at the White House was Kabiria, but it was on the front lawn. Uh, I believe I'll fact check myself after the episode, but um, definitely it was it was screened at the White House and um, it was uh, very popular. And it's it changed the world actually for two reasons. It, it changed the way filmmakers thought about how to shoot cinema, um, how to use the camera and use technology to their advantage to make, you know, epic movies like this one was. Uh, however, it, there was a uh, huge increase, um, actually, approximately 4 million people joined the KKK after this uh, film came out. It was, a, it was pretty much a dead organization, a dead... Um, it had like very few members, and when this film came up, its popularity spread like wildfire. Uh, kind of got like a rebirth of the KKK after this film, because the KKK were the heroes in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, very bad, you know. Uh, it's such a such a sensitive talking point when you talk about cinema history, because uh, you don't want to praise it too much for its awful substance. But uh, then again, you know, pretty much almost everything we have today comes from what. Uh, and the director's name is failing me. Howard Hawks is that his name? For uh, for oh, Birth I of don't Nation? I don't know. It was I think his name. I'm was not Howard Hawks. I'm not the film scholar you want me to be. <laughs> it's okay. I'm the one you need. Yeah. However, yeah, it's you know we owe a lot to it as D W Griffith, not Howard Hawks. I'm stupid. I'm sorry, Howard Hawks. What the hell, yeah. man? D W Griffith. Um, we owe a lot. To him, in terms of like how we, you know, are racist. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, are racist, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just a tough film. But definitely, I, I would put that that at the at the top films that changed the world. I think I think it is always a kind of a, a, a difficult discussion. You know, these mm-hmm. these like more controversial. I'm sorry, I keep kicking the desk. You're I think good, I think good. I've got the shaky leg. The stank, <laughs> the, I think I've got the stanky leg. Do the shaky leg. Um, you know, these important works that are made by like shit people. You yeah, know, like that's yeah. literary scholars always have a tough time with like Lovecraft because he's mm. influenced like everything. You know, he's one of the most prolific sci-fi writers ever and he's also a horrible racist, yeah, you know, and and a, a sexist too. Like right. his works have not aged well in terms of like being culturally acceptable, like mm-hmm. at all. And honestly, the works themselves, like that I've read, like they're they're imaginative, they're amazing, but you feel that imprint yeah. on them, and you feel that like uncleanliness. But 
it's important work. Mm -hmm. Like it really is. Some of the most influential work of all time is horrible. Yeah. You know, that's it's always tough to acknowledge, but it Did is hear, important. You know what his cat's name was? Have Who? I told you about that? Lovecraft's cat. No, I can't say it. Obviously, but oh every, dear God! Yeah. Oh wait, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> it's awful. I was on a film set, and there was a guy talking. We were talking in a, uh, we were talking about Lovecraftian horror, uh, and this uh, black gentleman who was on the set. He turned around. And he said, "You guys do know what his uh, cat's name was, right?" And we were like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "He was a horrible racist." And we looked at it. It's very bad. Oh but, my God! Yeah. Uh, he was laughing about it on set because we didn't know, and I was like, "I'm sorry." <laughs> but what? Uh, what do you? What's your film? What do you have? Ooh, okay. So my first one that I picked, I kind of jumped away from like the old like 20s and 30s and 40s movies because I mean, while they're obviously like all very influential, like right, those type of movies have never been like very important in in my life. I don't think I have a lot to say that like much smarter and more like oh yeah they've been well about well watched critics yeah. like could could say about them like but, citizen kane mm-hmm, like citizen kane i have nothing <laughs> i don't think anyone has, has anything, anything to new add. To, <laughs> yeah. add to citizen kane i mean we could just make new movies about making citizen kane <laughs> yeah to like drag out the discussion but it's not anyway right 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 my first movie is from 1962 okay it's the doctor no which yes. is the first james bond movie and i think that this is an important movie because it's probably the basis of all modern blockbuster franchises. Like, yeah. I mean, even before Jaws, uh, there was Bond. And Bond, like, came back after every few years or so, which was kind of mm-hmm. unheard of for the 60s. Like, sequels were something that studios avoided. And Bond was, like, made with the intention of there being a lot of them. And, I mean, in this first movie, you can see, like, they're laying down the blueprints for what would become so iconic in the culture. Uh, Like, the way Bond introduces himself, the way he asks for his drink, you know, even the women he chooses to keep as his company, Mm. you know, like, they're called Bond girls. And, like, that term has been used across, like, so much media. And, I mean, Bond is another you know, aging franchise that you look back at a lot of elements of it now and it's it's outdated for sure. Like, Definitely. Especially, you know, I, the most influential part of it, it, you know, Bond Girls, is that's a pretty misogynistic and, like, yeah. terrible concept and it's it's led to a lot of problematic, like, male gazy like, yeah. action movies. And, I mean, I think Bond is the very, like, architect of yeah. that trend in films but it's also still a brutally like entertaining franchise like Mm -hmm. i love going back and watching any era of bond except roger moore roger moore can suck big old pp okay also (laughs) pierce brosnan after goldeneye not so great tomorrow never dies pretty good now daniel craig this is harder you gotta skip every other movie so (laughs) so casino royale skip quantum of solace Uh skyfall skip Spectre, hopefully no time to die uh maybe has something to to add to this trend yeah. you know keep up the pattern of right. being good go out on a good note it's crazy to me that daniel craig is now the longest running bond because going back to dr no uh sean connery's take on the character like it <clears throat> lasted so long and, like because he kept returning to the role <clears throat> in an unofficial capacity like 
like there was that big controversy in the 80s when two different film studios had the rights to James Bond stories. Yeah. And so they, the other studio that wasn't MGM hired Sean Connery to come back. Like, how do you compete with that? Like, yeah. They went back to the fucking source. Wasn't it source. Uh, Thunderball? Is that the name it was it? Thunderball, but it was remade into a movie called Never Say Never Again. Yeah. Like the author of Thunderball. No, the screenwriter of Thunderball sued MGM, won, got the rights to Thunderball, so he had the right to remake it. Yeah. And he did, and people hated it. Like, yeah. It was not a great movie. I've seen, I've seen like most of it. It's not very good. It's not very good. Not very good. Um, but yeah, Bond, like, it, it, it is probably the, the direct father of all action movies, especially spy thrillers and just the tropes that come with being a franchise, Yeah, like, especially with catchphrases and iconography that appears in every film, like just the opening yeah. shot of him shooting the camera. That's, uh, so iconic. Mm -hmm. And I would also say the villain yeah. in the movie. I, I remember Dr. No is also a direct product of the Cold War, I would also say, yeah. because, you know, the nuclear uh, aspect of it, the villain uh, having his layer and everything, like, that's something we don't all, don't only see in Bond. We see that a lot. Yeah. It's like a charismatic villain in the, in the film, and, you know, fucking nukes, and, and especially during the 60s, uh, 50s and 60s, and so, some of the 70s, the... The Cold War aspect of I'm going to launch nukes and start the next yeah. World War. Yeah, that's the big thing. Well, there's like a Bond movie where like a Russian like satellite is just like eating like <laughs> American rocket ships. It's like yeah. fucking hilarious how how like based in the Cold War it is. I mean, and that's why when like GoldenEye came out post Cold War, people didn't know if that character, you know, if Bond could exist without right. the Ruskies. You know? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. What is what is he if not a a heroic symbol of, of capitalism in, in the West, you know? He's, exactly. he's fucking British, and he and he shags <laughs> girls across the world. Girls across the world. He's an international super spy. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's my that's my two cents on yeah. Dr. No. What, what's your next pick? Um, so I was thinking about this, and I, I probably can't pin it to an exact film. Maybe a genre. Okay. I would say slasher films. I I would say, like, probably Halloween. Psycho being or the Psycho first. Psycho being the first, right? Psycho being like the idea could form here, and Halloween is like the first movie that, or no, Black Christmas is the first right. movie that like makes good on that. Uh, Halloween like popularizes the trend, and I think Alien makes it a staple. You know, right. Even before Friday the Thirteenth, like exactly, yeah. I was I was gonna say slasher films have definitely influenced our culture and how we think about, you know, walking home alone at night or like going camping and stuff like that. It's definitely because it's something I always talk to like older people, and they're just like, <laughs> obviously the world's you know gotten a lot more dangerous in, in, in the past few decades, but I would say a lot of the hysteria of it is because of slasher films yeah i would say you know when, when psycho obviously psycho also kind of changed the film landscape of like how we think about thrillers and horror yeah um but you know things like halloween black christmas even friday the 13th i, I mean, mean ed gein just the man yeah just, just, ed gein. <laughs> just ed gein um 
really put the the fear of like you know serial killers and like murder mm-hmm. uh, into the culture. Uh, you know, we have uh, you know just like you know I can relate it now. We have this uh, the Gabby Petit uh, case. Yeah, going wow. on right now, completely captivating the nation because. Um, and a large part of that due to, um, you know, podcasts like crime junkies, like there's a conversation about whether like the obsession with true crime is good or not. To me, it's an annoying conversation. It's just Mm. like, it's just, to me, it's just like people have their fascinations, like get the fuck over it. We don't have to talk about, you know, in depth, everything about this, but you know, people gravitating towards like the true crime. Uh, I feel like is also sort of a, a a direct, you know, I guess symptom of people enjoying slasher movies so much. Yeah, I, so I think that true crime is definitely what you can tie like modern fear of like being beaten to death in the yeah, street to. Yeah. Like, I think <laughs> this is kind of a funny way to look at it, but like I think if you go back to like the nineteenth century, like you. Throughout that century, you know, people just kind of accepted a fact of life is that, like, you could be beaten to death yeah, <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, alleyway. Yeah, yeah. And, like, they weren't as, like, afraid. These people didn't live, a fear of, live yeah. in fear of, like, being mugged in the street. You know, like, it might happen, but, like, right. you know, media didn't play up the fact that it does happen. And I think with true crime... Uh, you know, especially with, like, In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, like, they finally Mm -hmm. analyze, like, the fact that these horrible crimes are happening all of the time. The people behind them are humans, and they have stories that people want to hear because Mm -hmm. the extremity of being a killer is something that we are fascinated with, and I think that's part of the drive of the slasher movies in general is, like... Each installment is a chance to learn about this, like, killer persona that we don't really see in our society or in our everyday lives, you know? Like, Michael Myers and and Jason have become more iconic in the culture rather than the movies that spawn them. Like, I don't think everyone has seen Halloween or Friday the 13th, but they know about these characters. Exactly. It's like yeah, symbol creators. Yeah, and it, what I think is so interesting about Halloween is that you know they call in the, throughout the whole franchise. We've kind of like they've said what about Michael Myers? They've been like Michael Myers, the character. They're like he's the epitome. He's evil. He's literally the devil. Like he can't be killed. He's evil. But in the first movie, you know that we see him. He's just a kid yeah. that kills uh, his sister, I believe. Yeah, well, yeah. his mom. His mom? Yeah. And it's like, I think that's that's really showing, you know, the audience thinks of us, oh, he's like a supernatural entity. But, like, no, like, he's just evil. He's a human being. He's evil. It, it puts somebody, you know, behind them. He wears a mask, but it's behind that is, like, a real person. And I think that's what was so horrifying about it and what really um, coaxed everybody into having these these fears um, not that the fears are unfounded, but just, you know, if you look around, like, you know, Halloween, especially, like, the actual holiday Halloween, you know, everybody, slashers are the, you know, everybody dresses up as Jason, everybody dresses yeah. up as Michael Myers. You know, it's huge impact. It's huge impact. And I, I would say probably, um, like you were saying, Black Christmas, Halloween are the, are the ones that really spearheaded that. Psycho being the the, pre, uh, the prologue. 
really. So media has gone a, a long way in like helping commercialize like holidays, you know, keeping yeah. the American public like spending. Mm-hmm. Like I think, you know, that's something I love about horror movies is their, you know, their folklore and their mm-hmm. and their hold on the culture. But also, it's something that I resent. It's like you are a product of like trying to get me to like spend money on like a rubber mask in October. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and that's that's the point. It's like it. It's a way to make money off of your fear. <laughs> and it's yeah. so weird yeah. that that happens, you know? But I mean, that's all that's all like crime content to me. Yeah, it's yeah. like even if it's done in a very tasteful way, which obviously slasher movies are not yeah, like yeah, right. tasteful to victims or people <laughs> no. who are mentally disturbed. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like even like I don't know, even like a reputable like crime podcast, I feel like you are commercializing a real person's death you yeah. know someone else's like personal tragedy you are capitalizing on it and you are manipulating it in a way that you you're gaining profit and i th- i don't know how i feel about that in mm-hmm. general like i'm gonna always listen to it because it is captivating and yeah, it is intriguing but like morally speaking like the the steps to do that it's just like i wonder you know yeah yeah uh, Definitely. Something to think about. It is. Um, what do you got for us? Yeah, yeah, I got another film coming your way. We're, we're still in the 60s. Uh, we're going to jump up to 68, though. Okay. And uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey, I think, is is just a film that you cannot um, leave out in, in talking about you know the most influential movies of all time. Like, I think Kubrick definitely has to be on your list of directors who are definitely you know important um and i think this is maybe my favorite kubrick project i go back and forth on it the shining and clockwork orange like they all kind of fight for my favorite spot um but god that's three movies that's like not (laughs) it's not very choosy of me i'm I'm not very decisive but um (laughs) i think that 2001 is the movie that lists that lifted the science fiction genre out of kind of like B movie schlock yeah. into high art. Yes. And I think that it's mm. importance to critics and it's, uh, it's wowing of audiences paved the way for many, a successful franchise, uh, star Wars being among them, you know, right. which I think that might be people's like first pick when talking about like maybe the most influential science fiction film of all time. But I do think that it owes it all to 2001. And 2001 owes a little bit to Star Trek, but <laughs> it's mostly... Right. It's it's the first space film that really makes it feel real. You know, and so real that people still think that Stanley Kubrick faked the moon landing just yeah. because of how crazily well done yeah. his space shots are. I like, mean, to this day, I look at it and I'm like, how the fuck did you do mm-hmm. that? How the fuck... Did they do that? They're it's incredible. So crazy. Yeah, I love that movie so much. But it's got revolutionary direction. It kind of, it was an interesting story at the time because it's episodic and like mm-hmm. not a lot of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like we like to think that older movies were more comfortable with silence, but it was not that amount of silence. Yeah. Like this was abnormal for its right. time, and it set a precedent for like art house films mm-hmm. in general. I think that silence that meditation that came with it yeah um 
And I mean, yeah, it got people crazy about space. I mean, it was the year before we landed on the moon still. Yeah. And yeah. like, this is probably a movie that people were watching hand in hand with like footage yeah. of Neil Armstrong on the moon. You know, like, this is what we imagine space travel to be like. And here's finally some tangible proof of what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I just, I think that you cannot ignore that it's got its clutches in our science fiction culture mm-hmm. still. I mean, I think a lot of people confuse Interstellar as an original movie when it's just lazy 2001. <laughs> I actually need to rewatch Ooh. Interstellar. A lot of you my do. friends really love it. I know. I, yeah. I, I, I need to give it another well, chance. I would say also, speaking like 19, we jump over a few years to 1972. Uh, let's go over Russia. Yeah. Andrei Tarkovsky with Solaris. Yeah. Solaris is a lot like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Even slower, right? Even slower. That's Even crazy. more slow burn. Uh, I believe it. I watched Stalker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Solaris, though, the the point of, of Solaris is a little bit different than 2001, but it definitely, um, I would say it probably influenced Tarkovsky at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's talked about, but it definitely, you know, they're very similar. Yeah. Like, the, the way they, the space station, the production design on both movies is absolutely fucking amazing. But, you know, the slowness and the high, you know, it's a high art sci-fi film. It's, you know, and they're only four years apart. Um, I would say 2001 and Solaris are, uh, Solaris being a little bit under, more like 2001 starting, you know, revamping sci-fi out of its schlop into high art. Um, I want to say Solaris might actually help in having a hand with that. But the fact that it was a it was a you know a Russian uh, film, not probably not a lot of people see it. Film buffs obviously, yeah. You know, filmmakers probably seeing it and thinking, I mean, shit, we yeah, gotta make something like, like that. Like people who study like in film classes, eventually remaking it. I mean, Steven Soderbergh, yeah, remade it with George, the, Clooney. George Clooney. Yeah, turned out they missed the entire point of the movie. But I haven't uh, seen either version, so uh, I'd be curious yeah. to watch them back to back. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's funny, um, but yeah. Good, good pick, yeah. Have you have you seen Sunshine? Yes. Okay. That's... I'm glad you said that. I thought I was the only person in the world that's seen that movie. I love that. Well, I love most of that movie. I think it gets a little bit silly at the end with right. like the the like killer aspect. Yeah, but the, like, yeah. I I think that's a really great science yeah. fiction movie, and like, I think that it has a lot of roots in these like harder grounded like right. science fiction movies like Solaris and 2001 mm-hmm. like I think I love it so much because it reminds me of the vibes of 2001 Yeah definitely you know? it does it does I do remember watching it and thinking like man I've never seen anything like this I believe that film has a cult following actually Good it deserves it It deserves like, it I think yeah. it's criminally underrated oh, like I would definitely. probably put it on any underrated like movies list Oh definitely of mine. What's uh, what's your great. next pick by the way So I was going to um Let's let's talk about Toy Story. Now copyright. Um, guys, I guess technically. Um, do your march. Yeah. Technically, if you want to get to about it. The 1982 SIGGRAPH <laughs> Awards, um, um, the convention, really. 
It's just well, endlessly entertaining John, to me. John Lasseter and I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys, uh, yeah, Marge, get the fuck out of here. Um, oh, the uh, um, Toy Story, I guess technically you could say Toy Story. You know, it's the first feature-length 3D animated movie. Yeah. Um, spearheaded a lot of um, 3D movies later. But technically, John Lasseter had been working on this shit since he saw Tron That's in the theater. Crazy. So he worked for Disney as an animator got uh, and got to see, I think they were, uh, when they first released, either they first released Tron or he got to see it in the editing booth when they were showing it for uh, feedback reasons. Anyway. He was absolutely inspired by it. And for the next decade, uh, decade and a half, really, almost two, worked on uh, getting 3D animation as a, as a, as a homestay. Like a, like a, I totally butchered that sentence. He worked on getting it as like a mainstay yeah. in filmmaking, right? Um and he made uh, a bunch of shorts, one of them being um, the short that's in front of Toy Story, I believe was the, the Toy Tin Man. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that one's from the 80s and shit. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, the, it was called the SIGGRAPH Awards, and it was where animators and like filmmakers would go and show off new technology, and John Lasseter brought that, and that was the, that was the big one. Before that, he had smaller ones, like, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was this character playing with like a butterfly, I think. Uh, and it was very short. And people were like, wow, that looks amazing. 3D animation, that's coming a long ways. But it, it was the Tin Man uh, and the lamp, the mm. Pixar lamp. Uh, what was What's his name? Uh, Lu, uh, Lumiere is what they called it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had that. And they were like, holy shit, the way he puts emphasis on emotion in an inanimate object was absolutely amazing. And then the toy Tin Man, the one-man band kind of thing, they put that in front of... Um, in front of Toy Story, but Toy Story itself being the first feature-length 3D animated movie. I mean, think about how far we've come now. Yeah. Um, John Lasseter is a little bit of a iffy speaking point nowadays, but yeah, um, I think since his tragic accident, his tragic car accident in 2008. Yeah, um, yeah, no, but Toy Story, it, it, it really, it's not just the first. 3D animated movie, it's the it's a fucking near masterpiece, right? Like it's so good. Uh, I mean, I, everything's been said about Toy Story, but you know you have to bring it up. It changed how people thought about animation and a bunch of the films that we get today. So, yeah. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> no, not a whole lot I can add to Toy Story, but I had to bring it up because I do think it's changed. A lot. Uh, no, it, it's definitely how animation is done today. It's yeah. based off of Toy Story's technology, you know, yeah. and they're in that that style. Three D animation is completely overtaken. Two oh, D yeah. animation. Well, it even helped visual effects in action movies. Yeah, or in like basically every movie, you know, everything's like you no, know. everything's got CG animators yeah. working on it. You know, it brought it, it definitely brought CGI to the forefront, and we wouldn't have Avatar without that shit because avatar is just the extension of that technology yeah and um, it's so much better than every other movie ever made too which is probably why it's the highest grossing movie <laughs> yeah wait no it's not. why are you laughing wait avatar oh we well, okay wait i totally got confused by your sentence um 
What, do you not think it's the no, greatest I love movie Avatar. ever made? No, I love Avatar. I haven't you, revisited it in you, a while, So though. you don't think it's the greatest movie ever made? Um, what if I don't? Well, then I would probably agree with you. I don't, I don't remember too much about it, but it's kind of a <laughs> bad movie. <laughs> it's Fern Gully, but with guns. Unobtainium. <laughs> Unobtainium! I forgot! That's what he calls it. Oh, fuck. I do need to revisit that film, though. You like, uh... You like... Jazz? George A. Romero. I love George A. Romero. Well, he he, he made a movie. He did. So, uh, moving on. <laughs> um, no, but Night of the Living Dead uh, is probably the 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 most important horror movie ever made. Like, I mean, yeah. there's that stuff in the 30s, like Frankenstein the is mummy. obviously the mummy, you know, the, the early Dracula movies, yeah. Not Nosferatu, even. Of course. But, um... I think Night of the Living Dead, you know, not only did it create, like, our modern perception, modern perception, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I had a little stroke there, little stroke. Um, our modern perception of the zombie and, like, wildly sensationalized that trend, like, zombie meant something entirely different yeah. before Night of the Living Dead, they, like, they the made ghouls. all the goddamn rules, like, right, yeah, them. yeah, and it's crazy, it's, it's so good, and it's terrifying, like, mm-hmm. they... I mean, there were horror movies before, but none of them had ever been so bleak yeah. as Night of the Living Dead. Like, not a single main character makes it out of that movie. Like, I think it really paved the way for, like, bleaker horror storytelling that's grounded in, like, real and personal conflicts and, like, examines the, like, failings of humanity. You right. know, like, I think Stephen King probably, like looked at this genre of horror and that formed the basis of his novels is you know like personal conflicts always at the center i mean mm-hmm. like the shining is like uh just a parable on alcoholism and like mm-hmm. king's own struggles with it like i think night of the living dead allowed for for horror to be a very personal and real art form and i think it's a, a good indicator of why we should take it more seriously mm-hmm. because i horror is very unfairly overlooked by like the academy and by film scholars you know people do not want to give it give it its due i mean especially horror with some gore in it like if a movie has violence you better hope it's tame enough for like 50 year old like academy viewers to like enjoy you know yeah yeah definitely and I, i i think that's a damn shame because there are some brilliant horror movies that come out and this is one of them for sure uh and i mean on top of on top of everything that it does for filmmaking and for like the horror genre itself on top of that you know it it's one of those early movies to have a black lead you know just be a main character and honestly steal the show and it wasn't even like a showy choice you know george a romero picked him to play that role because he was the, the best, best actor for yeah. it you know it wasn't even a race-based decision but it spoke volumes to the nation to see mm-hmm. that actor in that role you know yeah definitely and such on a such a obviously really good for indie filmmaking low budget yeah. student filmmaking even i mean that's how horror movies are made still you know they mm-hmm. get they have like a budget of like three million they mm-hmm. they have to strive to be creative and they almost always make a profit right. you know yeah and that's the funny thing about mm-hmm. night of the living dead it's like the creators at the time didn't get any money off of it it was 
it was essentially illegally shown across the nation with no credit or royalties being paid to the original creators, which, yeah. I mean, don't worry. They all worked together, and they made some of the most influential horror movies ever made again yeah, <laughs> in right, like the right. 70s and the 80s. But um, they did uh, they did just have to sit with that out in the public domain and yeah. uh, not see their their hard work and rewards pay off until later, you know. Right. But uh, I think I think it's safe to say that like they would probably all be proud to look at how yeah. that movie has shaped the landscape of, of, of filmmaking and like you said, indie filmmaking. It's mm-hmm. a self made man, you yeah. know, making this movie with nothing. Essentially, he's just in his hometown Mm -hmm. hiring extras. Yeah, and it's great. It's so great. It's it's also, I mean, on on top of on top of on top of all that, (laughs) the zombie genre. I don't know if you remember this growing up, but I did. I was definitely in this craze when The Walking Dead started. Like, I feel like without Night of the Living Dead, we wouldn't have. All the zombie movies and that that 2008 zombie craze where we had like Zombie Land, we had no. Black Ops Zombies was the game everybody was playing. Like it's all back to George Romero. All back to Dead George Rising Romero. is just Dawn of the Dead, exactly. With like a hyper stylized like yeah. format, you know. Fucking Train to Busan, like World War Z, all of it. It's all yeah, it's all him. It's all, I mean, he him. literally invented the rules Zo- of the of zombie. Zombies, you know, yeah. if there is a movie that has a zombie in it and it bites people and it affects them that way. That's you tie it back to George Romero. Exactly. I mean, it, it's it's felt he, internationally. Yeah. It's not just an created a, he created a huge craze that wouldn't yeah. be realized until like the two thousands. But yeah, I mean, but I mean, people. I mean, people have always been always nuts loved zombies, zombies yeah. but like especially now, nuts. it's blown yeah. up to yeah. crazy proportions. Um, do you have Do you have more movies, or should I just steamroll? Um, go ahead and steamroll because the, I mean the only one I was gonna mention. Um, we can talk about it. Uh, the whether you want to say it's Iron Man or the first Avengers, the MCU. Mm. Yeah, the Avengers, I think, would yeah. probably be my pick of the MCU for yeah. like influential, like that the the modern invention of a crossover mm. and shared universe. You know, like, kind of also reshaping the kind of blockbusters people want to watch. Yeah, mass-produced bullshit. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, well... Well, it is mass-produced, but... I yeah, mean, but and everybody wants... With, everybody wants everything to be univer- tied into a universe, you know? It's, it's made movies... Movie-going into, like, television watching. Right. You know, you have to... You have to watch serialized episodes of this film franchise in order to understand what's going on. And, I mean, now, literally, you have to watch serialized television shows yeah. in order to fully understand what's going on in the films. Yeah, definitely. You know? Like if you if you don't watch Loki, you're not gonna get what's going on in like Doctor Strange and the multiverse Verse, madness you know, yeah. of the multi whatever the multiverse of madness. Sam Raimi's yeah. back. <laughs> Sam Raimi's back, that's all that matters. Um but yeah, I'd be remiss without, you know, mentioning that because You it, got it. You got it. It has. It, it definitely has and it's it's put Disney in uh, you know Maybe the light they don't want to be in, but they de- would definitely shed some light on their business practices on oh, how yeah. going forward. And, and and recently with the Scarlett Johansson case and everything, like you know, it definitely it, it it's I mean it's a huge it's a cultural phenomenon. Like how can you not? Marvel is on top of the world. Exactly. I mean, it really is. Like they, quite literally, DC had a head start, but they fucked it up. <laughs> they fucked it up. Yep. They, they fucked it they up. Fucked it up. Um. 
no, Avengers is important. Like, don't Definitely. don't let anyone tell you like that it doesn't have cultural significance. It does. It's just like not everyone enjoys that cultural yeah. significance. But and we we do talk about it a lot. I enjoy it. I I mean. I, I diss on it a lot, but I enjoy it. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. a fan. <laughs> like I'm clearly, a if, if I didn't like what they were doing, I wouldn't I wouldn't be here. Yeah. Still. So exactly. it, you know, having Kevin Feige be a steady guiding hand. I mean, it has its pros and its cons, but it's, I mean, it keeps the franchise consistent. Yeah, it really is. Definitely. There's always a plan. Um, always. Speaking of plan, no, I don't know. Speaking <laughs> of film. Speaking. <laughs> Now that you mentioned movies, <laughs> uh, I would I would say my next pick is, is Akira. Um, you know, I think like Hayao Miyazaki's like Spirited Away might be like the safe choice for, or not the safe choice, but like, or My Neighbor Totoro is like yeah. the one that people might go to and be like, this is why, um, you know, anime is popular yeah. in the West. But it's definitely Akira. Um, like, yeah, that, that yeah, that movie had a hold on like the culture for a while there you know like mm. it's it's punk it's underground it's literally cyberpunk like this yeah, movie yeah. is so important in the cyberpunk genre like the matrix is greatly modeled off of this movie ghost yeah. in the shell you know more directly is yeah. modeled off of it and yeah what you know, oh, like I'm ghost sorry. You were talking about the original Ghost in the Shell. Yes, yes. Okay, okay, no, okay. I, I I forgot there. That you do not have a conversation about influential movies I'm and sorry. mention remakes. I'm sorry. I'm of sorry. Beloved. Cla- no, I'm kidding. I, but I, Scarlett I just, Johansson is an Asian woman for all intents and purposes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's no role she can't play. <laughs> I mean, she need to, she needs to have a conversation with uh with herself. Alec Alec Guinness and Lawrence of Arabia, you know those two oh, have a yeah. lot to talk about. <laughs> I love Lawrence of Arabia. Really? She should talk to uh, John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. Oh, yeah, that's the one. That's that's the one, that's yeah. the worst. <laughs> um, <laughs> and now introducing Rob Schneider as Malcolm X. <laughs> Please God, please no. take it seriously. <laughs> um, now Akira Akira is interesting though because it is like studio ghibli definitely is what people think of when they think of like you know socially acceptable anime in the west and akira doesn't share any of that you know whimsy mm-hmm. it's bleak it's like dystopian you know the, the the science fiction at the heart of the movie is like grotesque and and body horror elements you know it's it, it takes a lot from cronenberg it takes a little bit from superhero media and um, it's all a very interesting blend. I don't know if it holds up the best. I need to rewatch the whole movie again, and maybe with subs on. I don't think the English right. dub does it a lot of justice. And they've done two dubs of that. Like the first one is just like a bunch of like Brooklyn sounding people going like, "Hey, hey, Tetsuo, get over here. We're in the motorcycle game." <laughs> <laughs> the motorcycle. And and so in the. In the redub that they did, they actually hired like actors to be in the movie, <laughs> so that was good. I I I need to maybe make sure that I'm watching that dub. I don't know if I'm watching the good dub or the bad dub, right. but um, it's it's a very um, it's a very beautifully animated movie. Still, like no matter what um, era you watch it in, you yeah. you can't look at the visuals of that movie and not be like wowed by it. Like the, especially the the night cityscapes and the and the motorcycle chases there's like these light lines that 
pass behind the motorcycles and it looks like tron but it's way cooler looking right yeah and it i mean it's got such visual flair that's definitely inspired a lot of um you know movies a lot of like science fiction like comics and and animes and and series and you know even musicians like kanye west have music videos dedicated to akira like uh stronger is just taking scenes from that movie and recreating them um yeah great shit great shit shit. i I still need to watch it it's it's free on youtube under a guy's uh, the, the name of the video is uh, definitely not a Kira full movie HD, <laughs> and it's a Kira full movie HD. <laughs> I might need to visit that uh, that that link tonight before bed. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like watching something. Me too. Feeling like a movie now. Oh man. Well, you're gonna watch your own movie, right? Yeah. Film well, that yeah. changed your world. Right. Wink, wink. Wow. I kind of want to watch. Uh, I, I definitely. I probably. I might start it tonight. I want to watch Clint Eastwood's new uh, neo. Oh, Western. Cry Macho. Cry Macho. Yeah. I've heard. I've heard it's pretty good. You really? Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. I heard like a slight comparison to Gran Torino, which I like. I like yeah, Gran Torino. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's like my grandpa's like favorite Clint Eastwood movie. He's like, it's great because he's not racist. Well, he's also like dead. <laughs> it's just like bizarre. Because <laughs> he's dead. He is okay. I'm gonna I mean, get all those Asian assholes arrested yeah. by pulling out my lighter. <laughs> what? What? It's ah, it's such an interesting movie, but did you see the the wait? Sorry, it's not to derail. This. Did you see the 2012 uh, Republican National Convention? No, I have never forgotten. Like Clint Eastwood was my hero in 2012. Like I loved the Dollars trilogy. I loved everything he'd done. And I watched the Republican National Convention, and they had Clint Eastwood come out and talk to an empty chair. And the chair was supposed to be Obama. <laughs> and it's so crazy. He's just talking to this fucking empty chair and he looks no! insane. <laughs> anyway, I think that's the most influential like <laughs> piece of media. Yeah. yeah, it changed uh, my world. <laughs> listen, I love I was thinking about this the other day. Never meet your heroes. I know. I was that's that's what I was like that's what I was about to say. Like, I'd love to meet Clint Eastwood and be like, You have no idea the impact that you've made on my life, but that motherfucker is 97 years old. <laughs> He's probably going to die any moment. He'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk to me about film. I just want to pass. <laughs> I just want to pass away. <laughs> but yeah, I do want to watch Cry Macho um, because Clint Eastwood doing a, a neo-western. Like, that's just... And I, like, he ended the genre. I want to see what I want to see. Well, didn't he already do it with like... Uh... Was it the uh, mule or whatever? Yeah, with the mule where he had like a threesome. I guess that was a neo western. I haven't watched it yet though. That's the thing. I haven't watched the mule because I heard it was really bad. It didn't really interest me. It wasn't a Clint Eastwood project. I was interested, in, but yeah. Cry Macho is something I'm interested in. So, um, and I might watch the mule too. But yeah. Hey, speaking speaking of film, film, movies. <laughs> you uh, you ever you ever catch that flick, the Blair Witch Project? Yes, I think I think that needs to be brought up. Before okay, before we whatever. end, yeah. yeah, like I, I think that that movie, um, you know, not the inventor of found footage, that would be ha- Cannibal Holocaust, yeah. um, but it's definitely the what made it popular 
and it's it plays into like that stalker fear yes. that we were talking about earlier yes. that slasher like true crime in the fear woods. where you like you don't walk outside anymore and feel safe because you've heard so many horror stories yeah i think that blair witch project is is like essential in creating some of that public fear because it's i mean it's biggest hold on the culture was the fact that people thought it was real yeah you know like they watched this movie and i mean to their credit like they make it pretty fucking grounded like the camera sucks ass yeah and like not a lot happens there's not even really a monster in the movie there's just some creepy imagery and yeah and and very well done like sound scares yeah like off in the distance they created a whole website yeah movie that when they were trying to sell it missing posters yeah and it and it worked i mean people were uncertain Terrified. if they if they yeah. had just watched a documentary or a, <laughs> or a horror movie and i mean it, it definitely blew up that trend of like like a true story you know yeah, or like based yeah. on a true story and you know open being open about like lying about that too you know also uh, kind of expedited uh, satanic panic and, and witchcraft panic oh uh, yeah in the 90s to the 2000s because like what rosemary's baby and the exorcist did was horrifying for their time but I don't think it was really brought to the culture in mass than when what the Blair Witch Project did. Yeah, do you the, think that's why we fucking locked up those West Memphis Three for so goddamn long? You probably. know, Blair Witch, or would it? What, what would you track the Satanic Panic of the nineties to? Of the nineties? Yeah. Son, the Son of Sam murders. Oh yeah, yeah. That was definitely it. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah. fun, fun. And Manson, and Manson probably. Fun time. Or Manson fun was. Time. In, I don't know. It doesn't matter either way. Speaking of film, um, yeah. The oh, I we probably don't have too much time to get into it, but I think my superhero pick, I would have put X Men as as it because I feel like that's the first like successful superhero ensemble movie, and I think that's what a lot of yeah. blockbusters today like emulate that like ensemble like super powered uh you know like even fast and furious like modern day fast and furious i think like you can yeah. tie that back to the success X-Men. of x-men i mean x-men x-men one people will say is dated i watched it like a million times as a kid so Same. it kind of holds a special place in my heart even as i'm thinking about some of the sillier plot points i'm like there are a lot of timeless you know, yeah. storylines and character beats there. And, I mean, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, I mean, he was probably the first actor to really define long stays in, you know, a character. Because, like, Michael Keaton didn't stay in Batman that long. You Mom, know, no one had stayed in a role as long as yeah. Hugh Jackman stayed in the role of Wolverine. Yeah. And that's that's important shit right there. It is. You're right. I think it's the longest running. Yeah, I think so. I think maybe Robert Downey Jr. might tie with him, but no, I don't. I don't think he gets close because he he only went from like twenty. I mean, two thousand eight to two thousand eighteen. Nineteen. Oh yeah, two thousand nineteen. My bad. But but Hugh Jackman went from like two thousand to two thousand seventeen. That's true. That's true. Yeah, he's got like a six year uh, lead on. On wow. Robert Downey Jr. It's crazy. It's crazy, yeah. But uh, those are the only movies that have ever mattered. Um, yeah, the, if, the only ones I've watched, actually. You know? Yeah. I'm really hoping to get into this hobby. 
you know, if someone could just tell me what a movie is already and point me in the direction of another one, you know, that'd, yeah, be, exactly. that'd be mighty nice. That'd be mighty, 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 mighty nice. Mighty fine, mighty fine, mighty fine. Well, guys, we love you. It's okay if you don't want to say it back right now. Oh, yeah, I fun. just, I couldn't help but notice that um, we've been spending a lot of time together. And I'm getting, I'm getting a little bit bothered by the feelings I'm having. And I, you know, I know that this seems like we're pressuring you now to say it back. You don't have to, but Casey's going to say it again just to yeah. reinforce you to do it. When we love you. Yeah. Yeah. Consider it. Consider us. Yeah. Choose me. Pick he. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> oh no, it's not. Stop, stop, stop it. Stop. stop the po- Oh my god, it's speed in podcast form. <laughs> we can't stop the podcast. We no, have to we, keep recording. We literally, I can't. You have to record 100 words per minute or the computer will blow up. <laughs> oh fuck, this is bad. I can't we can't s- stop it. I we can't close can't out of the program the without saving it. Oh no. Oh no. What is hap what is happening right now? Oh god. Oh god. Okay, I'm looking up Audacity won't stop recording. It looks like the program's literally like Oh god, it might be crashing. Oh, no. God, this is a risky gambit that we're doing here. Hold on, I'm gonna end Discord. Oh, you can't even click on it. What the fuck is happening? Oh no. Talking into the void this entire time. This is stressful. Okay, okay, okay. So if the project is not saved, the necessary audio data is stored in the temporary folder specified in the directory section of preferences until you exit the application. At that point, Audacity offers the choice of saving a project or not. So it has an autosave feature that can help you when Audacity crashes. This allows you an Audacity recovery. Okay, so let me just end the task. And it should prompt me or it should save, okay? Okay. Guys.